This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. And welcome back to Brojo Online here with Dan Monroe. That's me. And today we have a very special one. Why? Because it is possibly the number one thing that I get emailed about or questioned about in my line of work. A number of months ago, I wrote an article, something along the lines of why your boyfriend doesn't initiate sex. And no single piece of content I've ever written or put out before has had the response that this has had. And before you even listen to this podcast, I highly recommend you give that a read first because that this podcast episode is a follow-on from that article. And that article lays the groundwork of what we'll be talking about today. All you need to do is Google, why doesn't my boyfriend initiate sex, or something along those lines. It comes up on the first page of all those kind of searches. So I get, I'm up to the point where I get about three to five emails per day from frustrated partners and occasionally from um, frustrated men about the issue of not initiating sex and more importantly about the issues that underlie this problem. So in that article I, I talk a lot about where that issue comes from and what we're talking about here but today what I wanted to do is really dig into pulling apart the detail, who are the different types of guys that this issue occurs to, what's happening behind the scenes with these guys many of whom I've coached personally and now starting to work with both them and their partners. And what you can do about it and also what you can't do about it, the parts you can influence and the parts you can't. So I wanted to really get into this because this is obviously a massive unspoken issue out there and it's one that I really want to help people solve, partly because of my own history with this issue. You know, sexual leadership was something that was absent from my own life for a very long time um, because I had a lot of shame attached to it and a lot of hesitation and fear around the concept of putting myself out there sexually. And now I'm seeing that this that I was not alone in this. In fact, it's common. Common to the point of being quite tragically scary, really. There are a lot of people that suffer from this issue and I want to help break down the barriers there. So let's start by defining the issue. What do I mean by not initiating sex? Why does the modern man, in general, seem to have a problem with taking the lead in the bedroom? First and foremost, before we go into this, I want to point out that this is a surface level uh, symptom of a much deeper issue. And those deep, the depth of those issues differ depending on which man you're talking about here. But let's have a look at what we're kind of the kind of symptoms you'll be seeing. The one, the most obvious one, is not initiating sex. This often occurs given the emails I receive. I see a pattern of a guy initially in the relationship being sexual, uh, being a leader. Though this is not always the case. And then there's this kind of dying off. Three to six months later, all of that sexual leadership is gone, and he's become passive. Sometimes a relationship that started with sex multiple times per week or multiple times per day quickly drops down to a couple of times per year. And this is the kind of pattern that we see. So if the woman, well, I'll talk about heterosexual relationships. I'm sure this occurs in homosexual relationships as well. But just for the sake of easiness of talking, right? So the woman will become the one who initiates, and if she doesn't do it, nothing happens. So that's the that's number one symptom we'll be talking about today and looking at the deeper issues underneath that symptom. Yeah, fun topic, I know. And if you're, reading, if you're listening to this and feeling uncomfortable, then you might need to keep on listening because this might be coming right down your alley. Yeah. We also see these, uh, what you might call, subsidiary symptoms. Yeah. So most of them are around leadership, initiating, and risk-taking. So we also see these same guys struggling to make decisions, especially decisions for both people, not just decisions for himself, but decisions that affect others, otherwise known as leadership, and other forms of avoiding risk-taking. So staying in a job that sucks or staying in patterns and routines that are boring and unsatisfying, not risking making things uncomfortable or unsafe. 
We might also see, now none of these symptoms apply to everyone, I should point that out, but this is just the common stuff that comes up for the people that I coach and work with. Um, we see avoiding confrontation. So overly agreeable or just refusing to discuss um, these kind of issues. So a lot of the women who send me emails, they've tried to talk about it with the boyfriend or the husband, and he's just either shut it down or he's pretended to agree, and then nothing's changed. So we see that a lot. So avoiding confrontation, not willing to get into the darkness around this issue and around any others. Often we'll see... That kind of spinelessness, a guy who doesn't stand up for what he believes in if he's challenged too strongly. Or a guy who's the opposite and just has massive tantrums and can't like rationally talk through one of these kind of issues. We might also see an unwillingness to discuss it. It's in the same vein as the previous. This idea that he doesn't want to talk about sex, he, doesn't, he thinks that there's nothing wrong. He blames it on the woman and doesn't take responsibility for his own part in this. And just anything else that just avoids this. And the most common I see is an agreement to make changes, followed by an absolute absence of action. So a guy says, yes, you're right, we should do things differently. And there's like a spurt, excuse my uh, pun there, a spurt of, of leadership for a week or two, and then it's back to the same old routine. And the woman's sitting there going, I thought you promised to change here. Um... And in particular, not just unwilling to discuss this, but probably an unwillingness to dive deeply into any emotional issues relating to the relationship, and particularly any <clears throat> excuse me, any emotional issues relating to sex. So what you'll sh what you should see, <clears throat> I'm getting over a cold here. What you should see is not only an avoidance of sex in some way but avoidance of masculine sexuality. So avoidance of assertiveness and leadership, and even, to some extent, raw, blunt honesty. So an avoidance of all that masculine drive. And that's giving us a hint as to what the deeper issue is here. Because I'm telling you again, this is not about sex. Except for some of the guys. So one of the things that I'll do is I'll go through the different types of guys that have the same symptom and share a little bit from what I've learned about the different reasons as to why. Because if, say, if you're, especially if you're a woman listening to this, trying to figure out what to do with your partner, there are some guys where there's no point trying to do anything, and you should just move on with your life. And then there are some guys who actually you could be the one who walks beside them as they make some significantly positive changes in their life, starting with this issue. Because this issue represents a much deeper one for some guys, and if they can solve the deeper one, their quality of life will improve immensely, and I guarantee your sex life will as well. So I'm going to start with the people that I'll be focusing on today, and that's the nice guy people pleaser. This is a essentially a combination of uh, different terms and labels that I've stolen. But the nice guy people pleaser, this is the really really focused on the person who lacks masculine assertiveness. So if your guy is not initiating bedroom, but he's also quite masculine and dominant and assertive and a leader, this might not be him, right? And he's not the kind of guy we're talking about today primarily. What I'm talking about is nice guy people pleaser. So often everything but the sex life is fantastic with this guy. He's loving, he's caring, he pays attention to you. You have a great connection with him. It's like your best friend's. You know, no one's ever treated you this well, etc., etc. He's just a lovely guy, and everybody loves him. Yeah? And he just struggles in the bedroom, and if you're honest with yourself, you see him struggling with some other masculine things as well. So what you'll see in this guy, to know it's one of these guys, he's unable to have sensible confrontations. Right? He either has tantrums like a child, or more likely... He's overly agreeable and avoidant and just tries to smooth over confrontations. You'll see that he doesn't lead elsewhere in the relationship. He's always checking in with you around decisions. He doesn't want to t make a decision that risks hurting your feelings or offending you. You always have to give guidance or it's come to the point where you've taken over the main decision making in the relationship if you're the woman. You'll see a discomfort around sex. He'll see it as something that creates pressure rather than relieves it. 
Now, guys who are comfortable with sex, they they love look they look forward to it because it relieves pressure for them. It's a release. But to a nice guy people pleaser, it's the opposite. It's an increase in pressure. It's a performance he has to put on. And it comes with all these fears and insecurities. So for him, the idea of sex is not something to look forward to, but more like something to tolerate. So if he's ever spoken about sex in this way, if he seems to turn to other forms of stress release when sex is readily available for him, that's a huge warning sign. And one of those being porn. So we see this, porn and masturbation will still be rampant in this guy's life. And yet sexual uh, initiation in real life doesn't happen. So that's a key warning sign. The guy's obviously sexual. He's still getting erections regularly. He's still masturbating or using pornography or going to strip clubs or even cheating. But you're not seeing sex being initiated in the relationship. And it seems like he doesn't want to talk about it or he's uncomfortable discussing sex. Maybe he likes to keep the lights off. Maybe he's very vanilla in terms of the times of sex. He doesn't ask what he for what he wants, or he doesn't tell you what to do in the bedroom, anything like that. There's no leadership or risk-taking. You'll commonly see erectile dysfunction with these guys as well. It's one of the things I had to go through myself. It's a fucking nightmare. And it's simply a symptom of the pressure that we're talking about, the stress Quite often, one of the reasons guys don't initiate early in relationships is simply because they don't want to go through the experience of having someone witness them have erectile dysfunction. It happened to them early in their life, and then they got worried about it happening, which is now the cause of it. So they worry about anxiety, and the anxiety causes the ED. So erectile dysfunction, trouble keeping it hard or whatever, these kind of things are pretty common. And if you see that lined up with a failure to initiate sex, but you can also see it's not a physical issue, like the guy wakes up with an erection or he's able to masturbate, then you know that this is a mental thing. Yeah. Now, other common symptoms, I've got a whole lot of resources on nice guys and stuff like that, and I won't go into it too deeply here, but another common one that you'll see is just generally being emotionally repressed. Yeah. So sometimes complemented by outbursts of aggression, but generally it's like they're trying to keep everything cool and calm and collected and unconfrontational and nice and pleasant the whole time. And their emotions are in the small band, this kind of plain emotion. No real highs, no real lows, except for the occasional slip. So basically they're passive. These guys are passive. They're not overly masculine. They're not overly feminine. They're somewhere in the middle sexually. There's no real leadership or drive, though there's also not a strong urge to follow that hard. They just kind of sit in the middle in this gray area. You'll see it in their work, you'll see it in their hobbies, in their social lives. You'll just see this lack of risk, this avoidance of discomfort. And you'll see the leading symptom, of course, being unable to initiate things sexually. Now that's one type, and that's the type of guy that we're going to be focused on today, because this is the guy who can change. This is the guy who's actually, you're seeing a symptom of something that is much deeper and really causes him so much pain in so many areas of his life, sometimes without him even being aware of it. And his life, his quality of life, and I'm telling you this from personal experience, his quality of life can be a hundred times better if he can deal with the, the cause of this issue. Now the reason I bring him up is because the other types of guys it might be, in a sense, not too late, but this is a completely different symptom. Uh, it's a symptom of a completely different issue. So next is one that, and I'm trying to not be judgmental here, but this is the kind of guy where words like arrogant, entitled, lazy, or misogynistic might come up. So a guy who kind of fits any of these categories, he's kind of non-initiating sex because he believes somebody else should be doing all the work. This is a guy who, he'll, he'll show uh, like masculinity in other areas of his life. He can be aggressive or assertive. Uh, he makes decisions. He leads. But he can also be abusive, demanding, and most importantly, blaming. He'll see it as the other person's job to do this work. You might also see things like cheating um, or other forms that show he has no obvious physical sexual issues or mental sexual issues. He's, this is more about his attitude. Now, if this is the kind of guy you're with, good luck, and I suggest you move on. 
as quickly as possible. If you are this kind of guy, then you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. But this is a guy who has no issues sexually in terms of shame. He enjoys sex. He'll go get it as much as he can. He just thinks a girl's job in a relationship is to do all the work. And I say move on. So that's another type of guy. And if this is your kind of guy, then this podcast is not going to help you. There may be other resources out there who will. uh, But I'd suggest moving on. Next type of guy is... This can be additional to the other types. This can be a symptom on top of the other things we're talking about. And that's porn addiction. It's the kind of the new addiction for our age. Um, Porn's become just ridiculously accessible on the internet now. And long story short, it has the same kind of dopamine rewards as cocaine, and it can actually become a drug addiction. Porn addiction, not only does it make you less likely to chase sex, in a sense, because you're kind of getting your needs met physically, but it also rewires your brain to make it almost impossible for you to get turned on by real-life women. There's a whole lot of research into this, and you can go look for that separately. I'm not even going to do citations here. There's enough stuff out there. But bear in mind that your your guy might have this on top of other issues, and this might answer the question as to why is it that he's interested in porn but not in me? It actually has nothing to do with how attracted he is to you. It's more about the mental drivers, the psychological desires that led him to porn in the first place, and one of those might be the avoidance of the pressure with sex. See, one thing you don't get with porn is pressure to perform. And that's one of the leading kind of, uh, what we'd call the sell selling points of, of porn, is that you get to be the master every time. Nobody's ever going to laugh at you. If you don't get it up, no one's even going to know. It's this kind of free ride. And you can have sex in all these crazy sort of fantasies, right? So there's a big, big ticket kind of uh, pull there. And a lot of guys who have this problem, they also have... uh, long periods of being single quite often as well which can lead them to porn as a kind of temporary filler so just know that that one might be in there and if that's in there it's going to add a kind of chemical component to this where actually he gets dopamine hits from porn that he's going to keep looking for and until he deals with his porn addiction he's going to struggle to deal with the core issue around being a people pleaser as well I recommend uh, there's a site called menprovementacademy.com, menprovementacademy.com, and they've got a program on quitting porn, and I'd say if that's your guy or if this is you listening to this, start with that. Next is a very rare one, which is somebody who's genuinely asexual. So there may be a lot of guys who look passive out there, and they seem to be lacking sex drive, but very few of them are actually physically wired in this way, though there are some. So I thought I'd mention it. But it's very unlikely. The only way you'll know that this is your guy is because he's never had an interest in sex with anyone. And his relationships with you, with anyone else, his fantasies, everything have always been in the very much in the friendship type description. This is very rare, and your guy might appear to be this, but odds are he's something else. And the last type of guy that I really want to emphasize here is... This is where it's more of a temporary issue. The guy's been performing sexually fine for most of the relationship and there's been a sudden change. And I would say that this is most likely linked to some sort of temporary mental illness or disorder, even though I don't like using illness and disorder as words. So it could be a temporary issue. Everything's normally fine. There might be an obvious stress or trauma that's occurred. So maybe something really big has happened to him recently could be something like losing his job or something else that undermines his masculinity or the loss of a loved one or maybe even repressed memories of sexual abuse resurfacing. Now this is this last point I want to emphasize. This is actually kind of common in, in all of the guys that we're talking about here. You know, sexual abuse against boys is far more prevalent than most people know about. You know, we, we hear a lot about sexual abuse against women but actually, statistically, men get abused more than women do, and children, male children, get abused the most. So there are a lot of guys out there with sexual abuse issues, and they're not talking about it. But it does, of course, have a massive psychological effect on their view of sex. So be aware in all of the cases we're talking about that that's a possibility here. So tread carefully in the sense, I'm not saying walk on eggshells exactly, but be compassionate with the people you're dealing with or compassionate with yourself if you're the guy who's got this because there may be some memories in there 
that are either holding you back or about to surface and, and shed a lot of light on why sex has shame attached to it for you. But bear in mind, overall, I see the problem as not being with sex. The shame is attached to sexuality, which is different. So sex is having sex with somebody, the physical act. Sexuality is being a man or being a woman or being, should I say, masculine, being feminine. So the problems with being, the, the shame's attached to being masculine. As I talk about in the article, misunderstanding things like feminism, other, <clears throat> other influences in life, giving us the impression that it's wrong to be masculine. This is the key element underneath all of this. So, before I go on, just a quick little pitch here. My newest book, Nothing to Lose, it's out now. And if you're looking, if you're a guy who's listening to this, and this sounds like you, then I suggest you get on Amazon, grab yourself a copy of that book. It's going to do more for you than this podcast ever will. And that's all I'll say about that. Let's come back to this issue. So a quick recap on why it happens. Okay. So for those of you who haven't read the article, or those of you just to recap, why does it happen? There was this misunderstanding, essentially. Um, Dr. Robert Glover talks about it a lot in his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. A definite recommended read for any guy who's got this issue. Feminism was great for helping women gain equal rights, and we're pretty close to it now, if not there. The trouble is twofold. One is that an extremist group of feminists broke out from the main group. So the main group had the key element of equality. The main group of feminists wanted things to be equal for men and women. A completely noble cause. But then, as always with movements, there was an extremist group. Um, these days they're called third wave, um, or I'd just call them hardcore feminists. And their motto is much different. Their motto is, men are to blame for everything. And they, they are very loud. Their voices are very loud. They're much louder than rational feminists looking for equal rights. And these feminists, they basically say that everything about being a man, a.k.a. everything about masculinity, is wrong and causes harm. Now, a lot of guys hear this message simply because it's the loudest message out there. We've been hearing it ever since feminism first broke. And a lot of guys are misunderstanding this message to say you cannot do anything masculine. It's wrong to be masculine. So guys, uh, there's plenty of reasonable guys out there thinking, well, I don't want to be a dick, you know. I don't want to hurt people. And it seems like all those things I want to do hurt people. I haven't tested this, but I've been told by some very loud voices and some very uh, strongly written movies and books that, that those desires I have are wrong and bad and they harm people. So I'm going to suppress them. I'm going to suppress the emotion of anger. I'm going to suppress assertiveness, I'm going to suppress a sexual desire, and I'm going to be very nice and passive and calm. Now, they don't think these words exactly, but they do think, I don't want to hurt people. And so what happens is, we start to get this shame. We start to get this idea that being sexual is harmful to others, and that being sexual is therefore wrong. Now, when this happens, we get sexual shame. And sexual shame puts you in a position where you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Or should I say, you're pulled in two different directions. One direction you're pulled in says, do not do anything that could harm others. Don't even take the risk of possibly being a rapist or anything like that. Don't, don't, don't do anything that isn't 100% welcomed and embraced and initiated by the other person. And then we're pulled in this other direction saying, you've got to be a man. You've got to take the leadership role. You've got to do everything. And this poor guy is frozen in the middle. He's like, I can't harm everyone. I can't harm anyone, but I'm expected to do everything. How the hell do I manage this? And he gets stuck. Now, I know a lot of guys listening to this will resonate with it. Half the influences in your life are saying, stop being a bastard. And the other half are saying, be more of a man. And neither of those pieces of advice are helpful. So you're saying, be a leader, but don't lead. And these poor guys freeze. They get stuck in the middle. And that freezing is anxiety. We get this panic that no matter what we do, it's going to be the wrong thing to do. And anxiety comes up with sex more than just about anywhere else. I mean, for a guy to get sex wrong, for a guy to initiate sex and go beyond the point of consent is about the most harmful thing he can do, and he knows that. 
And I remember from my own story, this was the case. I used to get into a sexual situation with a woman and I was so scared of going beyond what they wanted me to do. I was so scared of what would happen both to her and to me if I did that. And I didn't know where that line was. There was no, there's no measurement of where that line is. You know, a girl can be lying there in bed next to you passively and your hands are working around her body and you're like, I have no idea if she's okay with this. And there's no, there's no training for guys around this, around how to ask and how to make sure and how to measure. So you have to guess. And so a guy gets to the point where he's like, I don't want to get it wrong. I cannot cross that line. Or, you know, that's the, both of our lives are ruined. I'll be in jail forever and she'll be traumatized forever. I can't take that risk. And so he's stuck there, being told to lead and not to lead at the same time. This leads to a fear of rejection as well, because a rejection is a sign that you went over the line. Rejection becomes a warning, like, oh my god, you almost ruined everything for everybody. You know, it starts to be this big thing that we get attached to. And then we develop what I've come to name green light syndrome. This is where the lack of leadership is. I talk about it on the blog, there's a whole video about green light syndrome, but at its core, it's waiting for permission. It's waiting for this green light, this signal that it's okay to move forward. Now... Most women are coy when, it, when in sexuality. Feminine women are coy. Masculine women will just go for you. But feminine women are coy. They want you to make the first move. They'll tease you to lead you on, so and so. But they're not going to be like, yes, I definitely want it. Here is my written consent. They're not going to be that obvious about it. So this guy's in this hyper-awareness, super-detective CSI mode trying to figure out if it's okay to move forward. He's using these very subtle signs that to him are absolutely mystifying, like reading hieroglyphics. And to the woman, she thinks, I'm being so obvious, why isn't he making a move? But to him, it's not obvious at all. So this green light syndrome doesn't just occur in the bedroom, it occurs everywhere. He'll wait to be given a nod of approval before he applies for a promotion, you know. He'll wait to see what you want to eat before he decides where you're going. It's this constant waiting for a green light that it's okay to move forward. And the worst thing is, if you're a guy listening to this, most of the time you don't realize you're doing this. Most of the time you don't realize you're sitting in the waiting room. You just got this idea in your head, it's not okay yet. But you haven't actually tested that. You haven't pushed beyond the line at all. You haven't waited for someone to say no. You're just sitting at a maybe. So you know you've got green light syndrome if there's a lot of maybes in your life. There's no clear yes, you are not allowed to do that. No, stop there. You're actually assuming that that's what's going to happen, rather than actually seeing it happen. And all of this, of course, builds low self-worth. If you're not taking action with your life, if you're not leading and asserting yourself and standing up for yourself and going for what you want, you're going to end up hating yourself. It's really, really simple. It's a simple equation. It doesn't have to be more psychologically complex than that. And I know this from my own experience and, of course, from the now hundreds of guys I've worked with around this. So... You get this pattern. We misunderstood what women meant by equal rights. And we thought it meant all men are rapists and they should just do nothing. We heard that message loud and clear from the, the small group of extremists. We became ashamed of being men. And, you know, for me this is all... There's a, uh, a politician or ex-politician in New Zealand. What was his name? Uh, David Cunliffe. And he was on television and he literally said, I'm sorry for being a man. He actually said that on television. A male leader in this country said, I'm sorry for being a man. That's the kind of messaging that's going out these days, and this is why your guy doesn't initiate sex. Because he's been told over and over again that it's wrong to be a man. And initiating sex is a manly thing to do. So he's got these two conflicting drives that make him freeze. Yeah. And I'm not judging him, because I am him. You know, that is my personal story. My early experiences were very much around being nice to people. There was a constant influence that I had in my life. I can't even remember exactly where it came from, come from. But there was this constant idea in my head that if you were to do something overly masculine, I didn't have this word, you know, these words uh, in my lexicon back then, but the the message in my mind was around being masculine, being a leader, being assertive, going for what you want, you know, putting the cares of others aside to do what's right for you. I thought of all of this stuff as bad. I really genuinely believed it was wrong and selfish and mean to do that. I thought it was really harmful 
to put yourself first. And so I just didn't initiate. I waited to see the green lights. I waited for a for a channel to be dug for me before I poured my water, you know. And this it was everywhere in my life, you know. From my very first experience with, with women and sexuality, I waited for the other person to do something first. And I just panicked at the idea of having to lead. You know, it, it happened in my career. I just, I went to university because someone told me that was a good idea. I signed up to the course because other people were signing up to it that I knew. I went into, like, my early employment because my friend worked there or my brother worked there. I just followed the path that was laid out for some for, by somebody else. And, you know, this, and, and this came up, of course, sexually. So almost every girl I was with... I let them lead. It was very rare for me to take the lead up until about the age of 25 or so. Um, And I had this massive connection between sex and approval. Basically, if I was with a woman and she initiated sex, I'd take that as a sign that I was a good boy. It was kind of like a reward that I had to wait for. And if she didn't, I'd take this as a sign that I'm a bad boy. Not in the sexy way, but in the shitty way. And this is this might explain for some guys why they might go months and months. You'll you make them wait for sex, and yet they still don't initiate. It's because every day they have to wait for it, every day you don't initiate, they assume that they're wrong. They assume that you don't want them. And of course that isn't something that's exactly going to turn them on and drive them crazy with sex, right? So this happened to me a lot. I waited to initiate, and unfortunately, like so many other guys in this situation, I was enabled. So I would be with women who would initiate. And so this would actually uh, enhance the pattern. That would sort of confirm to me that this is the way things are supposed to be done. Now I heard lots of different stories from friends and others, you know, the kind of masculine, more masculine guys that I hung out with and worshipped. You know, they'd talk about like just going for it with women and just taking these risks. And I thought they were insane. Or I thought that they had some sort of pheromonal thing that allowed them permission to do something that the rest of us couldn't. It didn't occur to me that they were just doing what actually women wanted them to do. Now I want to really emphasize here that at no point along this talk am I consenting moving past consent. That's not what these guys were doing. They were simply allowing the women to say no to them. They were going to that point. Whereas nice guys, they stop well short of that point. They go nowhere near it. And that was me. I went nowhere near a no. I wouldn't ask out a girl until somebody showed me some sort of evidence that she would definitely say yes. You know, I wouldn't take those risks. I wouldn't go for a kiss until a girl was, like, trying to kiss me. I I just really wouldn't go without a green light. And um, this actually caused the most pain I've ever had sexually, which is I went for about three and a half years in my early 20s with no sex at all. And that was not for lack of desire. It was simply because I couldn't cross the line that was required. I couldn't do my part in the sexual interactions that took us from just talking to doing something sexual because I just didn't believe even the green lights I was getting. The longer it went, the less I believed in myself. So even when a girl's like, yes, I really want you, I'd be like, nah, she's not really sure or she's had a couple of drinks. I couldn't even believe the signs I was getting. And it caught me in a trap. The only reason I got out of that trap is because a very masculine woman dominated me one night and broke the spell. But ultimately, underneath all of this, there was nothing to do with sex. It was all about that approval. I was a nice guy. I had nice guy syndrome. I was a people pleaser. I was all about trying to make others better at the sacrifice of myself. Because I saw myself as some sort of martyr. A saint. There was absolutely nothing healthy about this syndrome. A lot of guys like to convince themselves that it's a good way to be. But deep down they know it's nothing but suffering. And this was me. You know, I was a nice guy, people pleaser for most of my life. And because of that, there was no masculine sexuality. There was no assertiveness. There was no confrontations. There was no going for what I want at the risk of being denied. And I missed out. So what I really want to talk about now, you know, we've been talking a lot about what this problem is and who has it. But let's talk about what the solution is. Because that's what you're here for, isn't it? That's what I'm here for. That's what we're all here for. So I want to talk first about what helped me. And then I'll talk a little bit about both what you can do if you're this kind of guy. And also what you can do if you're a partner of this kind of guy. Or even a friend. 
First and foremost was embracing masculinity. I mean, that is the heart of this issue. Masculine values and living by them. doesn't mean only being masculine. The feminine must be embraced as well. But passive is neither masculine nor feminine. Passive is a grey area in the middle where nothing happens. So what helped me the most was embracing masculinity, and I'll go into much more detail on this later on. Next was honesty. Ultimately, not initiating sex was a form of dishonesty. Whenever I wanted sex and didn't go for it, I was lying. Whenever I felt horny and didn't express that in some way, I was lying. So sexual initiation is actual sexual honesty, and it occurs right at the beginning. Going for a kiss, telling someone you're attracted to them, expressing emotion that's related to romance, this is all forms of honesty, and these are all things I was not doing. Yeah, Acceptance was a big one. First I had to come to terms with this actually being my problem. Not somebody else's, it's not woman's fault. You know, I, I dabbled in some misogyny for a while where I was really upset with women for putting me in this position. And then I got my head together and I realized, hey, it's not up to them for me to initiate. It's not up to them to make me masculine. If I want to be masculine, that's my job, not theirs. It's their job to be whatever they are. And so I had to acceptance and take responsibility. I had to realize that if this thing was going to change, it was going to be me that does it. And so for those of you listening, it doesn't matter how supportive your partner is, she cannot do the work for you. You've got big work ahead of you if you want this to improve, if you want your life to be more satisfying. And start today by going, okay, I'm going to accept that workload. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to do what needs to be done to repair the psychology here. Uh, Emotional expression. Essentially, sex can be high pressure if you see it as a performance. It becomes low pressure once you see it as a conversation. And that's what changed for me, is when I started to see sex as a way to express how I feel about someone, rather than a test to see if I can pleasure them, sex became a lot more low pressure for me. So I started to look at how to not just express myself sexually as a way of communicating, but also to express emotion in general, to learn how to express anger, sadness, disgust, confusion, fear, all those things that I held in, learning how to express them in general life, allowed me to become more sexual as well. Quitting porn. That was a big one. I think that's an absolutely necessary one. In fact, it's something I think everyone should do no matter what's going on in their life. I think porn is very destructive for the brain. Now, quitting's not easy. I've already made a reference earlier in this chat to what you can do about it. Um, But ultimately, if you're using porn, it's just going to be a constant step backwards. You're going back to instant gratification and dopamine hits rather than dealing with your emotions. And for those of you with um, erectile dysfunction, Viagra. I recommend it. Sometimes it's good to have a running buddy, you know, when you've got to break through some barriers. You know, for, for guys to get more comfortable around sex, it helps if they can perform. So I don't recommend becoming dependent on any form of medical assistance, but it might help you crack through a few barriers uh, but in particular when we're talking about honesty and um, erectile dysfunction is actually discussing erectile dysfunction with your partner or partners letting them know that it occurs to you don't do this oh this has never happened to me but actually being like you know what this fucking happens all the time like it's a major issue for me and uh it just means that tonight's all about you you know while i work my way through this and there's nothing you can do about it So let's go dive deeper into the main thing that helped me, which is embracing masculinity. Now there's another little pitch here. I've started moving my work to coaching couples because I just get so many fucking emails about this thing. So if you're a couple or in a couple listening to this and you want to do some work around it, their long-term work, then get in touch with me, dan at brojo.co.nz. Tell me a bit about your situation and why you think coaching would help you. And we'll see if we can work together. And we'll work together on what I'm about to talk about, which is to help you both embrace masculinity or femininity, depending on what's right for you. So let's talk about what embracing masculinity is, because this is what solved the issue for me. It wasn't a week. It wasn't a month. It was years. It was years of work. Um, But to be honest, if I had had someone like me helping me, it wouldn't have been so many years. Decision making. This is an easy one. 
So if you're in a partnership, start making all the decisions. Start taking risks that they'll say no, be disappointed, dislike your decisions. Put yourself in a position where you're regularly making decisions that affect other people and allowing yourself to get those decisions wrong and not apologizing when you do. Really, just allow yourself to start driving forward without a green light. It's as simple as that. Start doing things that you don't have clear permission to do. It doesn't mean that you keep going to the point where you really harm someone. You can back off if you see that it's causing harm. This isn't about domination, which is more insecurity. It just means moving forward without needing a committee to give you a big fucking pat on the back first. Yeah? There's so many areas of your life right now where you could take over the decision making just to build your own assertiveness and your own faith in yourself. Along those lines, risk taking. Odds are you have a very comfortable life and there's probably a few areas where that comfort is causing you impotence in a sense. Maybe you've got a job that you don't like. Maybe you're friends with people who don't respect you. Maybe you buy things to make you feel good rather than spending that money on adventures that would be risky. Whatever it is, start looking to do things that scare the shit out of you. On purpose. To build courage. Because you're going to need courage to initiate sex. And you can build it in other areas of your life. On that note, facing fears. One of the easiest ways to directly influence this situation is to face the fear you have around sexual shame. To face the fear you have that you are not sexually adequate as a man. And one way to do that is to openly talk about it. Now, you can talk about it with other men. You know, that's one of the reasons we set up Brojo, is that you can talk with guys who aren't going to give you shit about it, guys who will understand, even if they don't have the issue themselves, there will be no judgment. Or you can find someone like me, or say a No More Mr. Nice Guy group out there, somewhere we can talk to other guys about this and make it normal to talk about it, until you're no longer afraid to talk about it. But most importantly, if you have a partner, talking about it with your partner. Going, okay, let's start diving into my sexual issues together. Because here's the secret, your partner ain't perfect. There's no such thing as an unhealthy person with a healthy person. We're all fucked up a little bit, so... You've got your issues here, she's going to have hers elsewhere, and the two of you can bond and build on those two together. Confrontations are a big one. You want to really feel like a man, start having some fucking confrontations. Start standing up for what you believe in. Now this doesn't mean trying to change other people. Confrontation isn't changing other people, that's a conflict. It's trying to win a war. Confrontation is just holding your ground. A lot of nice guys have no fucking idea what they even like. They've lost track of that completely. They're so busy trying to please others, they don't even know what pleases them. They've got so much shame attached to what they want that they can't even think of it. So I suggest you sit down with a pen and paper and you write down what you stand for. What is it that you hold the line on or want to hold the line on? What do you need to stand up for yourself more in? And then go and do it. You don't have to do it well. It can be a mess. It could be disastrous. It doesn't matter. Your brain needs to see you stand up for yourself to believe in you. No one else is going to do it. So practicing confrontations, even a small confrontation a day, is medicine for this issue that we're talking about. We talked about this earlier, but honest communication, especially honest emotional communication. Start letting people know that you're not fine all the time, or that you're not whatever you pretend to be all the time. When someone asks you at work, how's your day, tell them how it's actually going, don't just say fine. When your partner says, what did you do today, don't say nothing. Tell them about the emotions you went through that day. The expression of this will actually help you build up a range. I used to not feel anything. I'd I'd repress myself to the point where I didn't even get excited about anything. I couldn't feel sadness or happiness, I was just stuck in the middle. But the more I talked about what I did feel, the small amounts I did feel, the bigger my range got. I noticed that over time, the more honest I was about the way I felt about things, the more I actually felt. And this will help you in terms of connection with sex, is that sex can become not just a physical chore or a workout, but actually a connection with another person. My early sexual experiences were almost devoid of connection. I felt no, I felt like it was me and them as separate entities, you know. Whereas these days, sex to me feels like a conversation, a deeper, meaningful conversation. I feel like we're there together, talking about something with our bodies. And the last one I'd really point out there is let people hate you. This will probably come about of all these other things. 
Your partner might want to leave you if you start being open and honest. Great, let them fucking leave. If they don't like you for how you being honest, they shouldn't be in your life. I don't care if they've been there 10 years. One of my clients had a partner for seven years and he said to me the last five have been awful. The last five out of seven. If this sounds like you, get the fuck out of that relationship. Use so much honesty that they walk out the door. You don't. You might struggle to make decisions. You might struggle to be assertive. Maybe you don't have the balls to like break up with someone or end a friendship or whatever. Instead, try to be so honest that if they're a bad fit for you, they'll leave of their own accord. Push people away with honesty. If you're being raw and honest and vulnerable, whoever's left standing after that is a good fit for you and you'll be able to rebuild yourself with them. So those are my main tips for, for the guys listening to this who suffer from this issue and for the main things that partners can support them with. Now I want to give some extra advice to, out there for partners, some extra tips. The first thing, and I'm just re-emphasizing the same old point here, it's not really about the sex. It's not. If he's this kind of guy, it's not about him being lazy or not attracted to you. That's not relevant. It's got nothing to do with it. It's about the pressure, the subtle pressure he feels around sex, which makes him avoidant on it. And the real issue here, what's really going to fix this for you guys, is honest connection. So if you partners, you've got to look at yourselves. You're playing 50% of the part in this. It's not just them. You're sitting there going, well, he doesn't initiate. If he did, everything would be fine. You've got to start looking at what you're doing. What's your part in this? Are you putting pressure on him to perform to have sex? Why are you needy about sex? Why do you put that pressure? How do you communicate these needs to him? Are you helpful and encouraging or are you demanding? Are you so subtle that even fucking Detective Morse couldn't figure out what you're trying to say? Or are you direct? Are you giving him the green lights he needs to work on this without enabling him? If you're leading sex all the time, does he even have the opportunity to leave sex? Are you leaving it long enough? And if you have been leaving it long enough, are you constantly bringing it up and saying, we need to talk about this? What's going on for you? Honest connection is the ultimate resolution to this. When I come to coaching with couples, most of my work is around helping them to communicate honestly, more honestly. Coaching with me will either build the relationship to something it's never been before or end it. It depends. Depends on whether or not you're right for each other. Understand, if you're a partner, there's a big difference between asking how to help and demanding a change. Putting pressure on a guy who already feels pressured is only going to push him away. He's going to avoid more pressure. But being in open space, being feminine, encourages the masculine. If you go, how can I help you with this? Let's work on this together. I'm here for you, no matter how long it takes. If you leave that pressure for him, maybe he'll start tentatively opening up about what he wants. It could be a little thing like, what's one thing we could do that would make this a little bit easier for you? And then he'll start to say what he wants, which is a masculine act. As I've already emphasized, you are a part of this too. Have a look at your own behavior and ask, how does it encourage him to be passive? What do I do that allows him to be passive or actually pushes him towards passivity? If he's got issues around misunderstanding feminism and not wanting to hurt me, how do I make that harder on him? Do I put pressure on him to take responsibility for the way I feel? Do I do things like ask him to cheer me up? Do I do things like ask him to do things that make me feel better? Because that's putting all this pressure on him to manage me, and it's not his job to fucking manage me. You know, you've got to ask yourself this question, these questions. you got to understand, if he's, if he's really stuck in this psychology, he needs a big wake-up call. Listening to this might be enough, but odds are he's going to need more. He needs to see that if he doesn't change, he's going to lose the things that are important to him. I say this with love, but this was done to me. I lost one woman after another because of these issues, and it wasn't until about the millionth one. No, I haven't had that many women. But I had the, I had this experience. I had five girlfriends in a row that only lasted three weeks each. And you won't believe this. It's three weeks to the day. Five girls in a row, 21 days each. From confirmation that we're girlfriend and boyfriend to a vague text saying it's over. 21 days, five girls in a row. I don't think any of them even broke the rule. It was incredible. It's like something out of, you couldn't write this stuff, right? And I realized it's because after three weeks, 
they got sick of the nice guy act. They realised I wasn't a real person. There was nothing sexual to spark up interest for more than three weeks. You know, I needed to go through that realisation, that pain. I needed to lose all five of them, plus any girls that came before them, to realise that it was me that needed to change. The reason I bring this up, your guy may not take this seriously until you break up with him. And I don't mean break up with him as a manipulation tactic. I mean be ready to move on. He might come back and say, now I'm ready to change, or you might lose him forever. This isn't an ultimatum, but actually going, okay, if he's not showing behavioural changes, if he's promising to change and nothing's happening, he hasn't had a big enough wake-up call yet. And the last thing I'd say is focus on making sex about communicating openly rather than about pleasure, obligation, or any other requirements. Make sex a conversation rather than an achievement to complete. Yeah, so take the pressure off him to please you or take your pressure off yourself to please him. Take the pressure to have rules about sex. It doesn't have to be penetration or orgasm or whatever. It can just be the two of you talking with your bodies. Make it about communication and at any point if someone's not enjoying themselves, they should stop. Giving yourself both, giving both of you that permission. Yeah. Whew, what a topic. What a topic, what a fun thing to talk about. Aren't we all feeling good? Look, this is a big one that's straight at the heart for me and what I'm starting to realise might be, you know, my life's work. Not not the sex thing, you know, there's plenty of sex therapists out here, but sex isn't the problem here. You want to have good, kinky sex, there's books around that, but the boring sex isn't the problem. It's the key is that initiating that lack of masculinity that comes from a deep core place of pain and that's what I want to help you all with you know and what I've found so often with one people pleaser is another people pleaser so if you're a woman listening to this maybe you need to work on some of your own assertiveness some of your own masculinity yourself in order to break through some of the people pleasing patterns you have because there's a lot of us out there us people pleasers thinking we're awesome thinking we're so nice and yet all we're doing is wearing ourselves out trying to help others who don't even need our help. So, like I said, if any of this resonates with you, I am here to help further, whether it's just to send you more resources or if you really want to get into this and fix this for good, we can have a look at coaching. Get in touch with me, dan at brojo.co.nz. If you're not ready to take it that far yet, start with my book, Nothing to Lose. You can find it on Amazon. It's the one with the white cover. And I'll see you all next time for Brojo Online. Have an awesome week.